how we dance. You are listening to the Citrep Podcast, your source for everything related to historical wargaming. Whether you are looking for the latest wargaming news, reviews, painting tutorials, or playthroughs, you will hear about it right here. So grab your favorite beverage or brush and let's hit it. All right, guys, welcome to the show. This is show number five for season six. And let me tell you what, we have a packed house today. Not only do you have the regular command crew, but we have two, not one, but two special guests in house. Um, so let me introduce our two special guests before we kick off the show. We'd like to thank Brad and Bob who are on the show to talk about a special Kickstarter. And we'll let them introduce themselves here shortly, but I just wanted to let everybody in the house know that we have two special guests and to remind the command team, we do have guests. So, you know, tone it down a little bit, guys. You know, let's let's tone it down a little bit. But anyway, let's get on to this show. So, as always, we like to introduce and catch up with our team, and we are going to start and work from east to west. So, Mr. Gas, our resident Bob Ross of painting, our news guru. How the hell are you, sir? I am spiffing, old boy. I'm spiffing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm american i'm not sure what that means that, that is the joy of the english language you don't speak it <laughs> well, yeah. two countries separated by a common language <laughs> no things are good things are good um i would say work is starting to even out but actually now we've we're on the edge of being released. We're starting to ramp up in exercises and deployments. So we're already starting that, which is interesting. Uh, Hobby-wise is still tight on the schedule. Uh, as the team have mentioned in our warm-up to this episode, my new mic seems to be working well, and uh, I'm very happy with it. So that's <laughs> it's been some it's been a good week or so for me this last week. Awesome, yeah, the mic sounds great. So uh, the, just another bump up in the quality of this podcast. We do this out of love for you all out there in the audience. So awesome. So not much hobbying going on, Gaz, this week. Still pretty busy with uh, fixing things that officer types break. Pretty much, yeah. Um, unfortunately, well, more. Um, pilots uh, than officers. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's become a generalization now. It used to, I can guarantee an officer will break it, but now some of the NCOs are, are playing uh, catch-up. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, I need, a, I need to find somebody with a good size 12 to put in a place the sun don't shine and stop them doing that. Woo. All right. <laughs> well, moving along. To the east coast of the United States in the warm tropics of the southern portion of our country, Big Jim Ariskany. Sir, how are you after that great battle we had last Sunday? Um, not too bad. Can't complain. Good. Uh, finally, starting, uh, finally starting to relax a little bit. Yeah, you kind of had a busy month or so. A couple months. Uh, busy, busy three months. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Hobby is definitely on a downward ramp. Um, in fact, I spent most of uh, most of the week and most of yesterday taking down all my hobby stuff. Um, go for tables, all got taken down, all got put away. That literally took like eight hours um, to put all that stuff away. Holy moly! Um, well, it's just a lot of crap that got hauled out. I mean, we were gaming in like six different systems, um, including a physical 15 millimeter series of tables. So you know that was a couple hundred minis had to get you know. Reorganized, put away, cleaned up. 
All um, that sand. All that sand had to get cleaned up, put away, um, restrained for storage. Um, so I can use it next time. You know, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on. The wash um, was busy. I'm sorry? The wash rack was busy. Yeah, yeah there was a lot going on. Um, but that's all, uh, you know, put away now. So, you know, happy to have a dining room again for the first time in, you know, three months. Um, and uh, this last week I've been working on uh, expanding into a new area, um, ancient warfare in um, the old dynasties of China. So uh, I've been building armies for uh, Chinese ancients. Uh, I'm aiming at third century uh, before the common era of the late warring states period. Uh, also, the, some of the civil wars that followed the death of uh, Xing Huandi, uh, leading to the rise of the Han Dynasty. So the system I'm going to be using on that is TSR's Battle System, Second Edition. Uh, the first game is already built and set up. We've wow. got uh, 20 different troop types. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's never, it's of course, not going to be nearly as big as the Gulf War was. Um, but we are military history. We don't just do moderns. And... Um, We've been doing a crap load of modern stuff. There's 26 pieces of content up for Gulf War. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm putting up more uh, more modern content later today. So there's been a lot of modern stuff. And, uh, yeah, we'll see uh, you know, We'll see how it goes with just an experiment. Uh, maybe. Maybe not. Who knows? Maybe this will just be something I do on the side um, for expanding into a new era of military history. I saw you fell in love with cavalry and horses as well, Jim, during this project. Well, love being you know, a strong <laughs> term. Um, it was a lot of work, uh, a lot of Photoshop, but, you know, we got there. Um, we wanted to uh, – horses and cavalry in general seem to be one of those things that a lot of hobbyists tend to overlook or do uh, – they don't pay enough attention to it. They'll spend two hours on, like, the heraldry of the banner and, you know, the gleam of sunlight off the tip of the lance, and then their horse – looks like, you know, Mr. Potato Head with four legs. You know, he's just like this big brown, you know, blob, uh, two little black dots for eyes. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, people tend to put the wrong markings on the horses. People tend to the wrong, um, the wrong breeds, the wrong, uh, you know, th- different types of color variations. Um, especially in ancients and medieval, before the world was so interconnected. And now you'll find a certain breed of horse all over the place. Um, yeah, Jim, are you but, talking you know, history? Are you yes, doing this history, history lesson? I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot I was supposed to tone it down. I'll be quiet. No, no, no. Uh, go on, go on to the next lesson? person. Hold on a minute, Jim. I did not want you to feel left out. Guys, this is Jim's oh. moment in the sun. Yes. Mr. Oriskany, why don't you warm us up with a snippet of history on this subject? Oh, James, don't make the story too short. I so enjoy a really long story, especially when I hear your wise voice, James. There you go, sir. All right. Um, Apparently, I'm even boring the computers. Yeah, so um, that's pretty bad when you can bore a computer. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's what I've been working on this week, and uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes going forward. Awesome. All right. So, moving up north, the crew up here in the Chicago area. Uh, Chris, what you been up to? Well, uh, supporting uh, your guys' habit. Yeah. Uh, especially yesterday, we uh, did a recording and playthroughs. Yes, we so. did. Nine hours worth of recording. 
Yes. Anyway, yeah, that was a good it was time. Nine hours together. It wasn't nine hours of recording. True. True. To me. To be fair. That's true. It was only two and a half hours of actual recording, but uh, the other seven hours was set up and playthrough and testing and et cetera, et cetera. So, Marty, we'll ro- roll it right into you. Well, um, so I was a part of the, the playthrough uh, yesterday for uh, Ultra Combat Modern. That was, uh, that was good times uh, getting that uh, uh, under our belt, so to speak. It was good to see Dan join us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, let's see, what have I done since the last time we talked? I have uh, I I completed my uh, 148th scale <laughs> uh, A10 Warthog. <laughs> I need need to paint it, but he's he's all built. <laughs> and then uh, I've got I don't know 15 or 20 Afghan National Police uh, 28 millimeter figures that I am uh, currently working on. I got them all primed and started uh, blocking in colors and whatnot. I'm Batch painting the whole thing at once, so they're coming along. So that way, uh, in the future, I can uh, play some uh, Afghan National Police on my table as well. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, same thing, kind of for me. You know, we did the uh, recording and everything yesterday in the studio, set up lights and things. Um, still a little bit of work in progress, but I think we're dialing it in pretty good. Uh, I did a video on Wednesday of uh, speed painting uh, the Russian team. And which, you know, was a follow up to the uh, speed painting on the Americans. Um, So we had those ready for the time. Uh, Where do I go from here? Uh, It's planning our next project. Um, Our next project is going to be that uh, one day table build for the um, French and Indian War. So look for that soon. All right, we're going to change a little gear. Since we do have two special guests with us, we want to do a quick uh, include them in our, our talk as well. So, uh, Brad, I'm going to start with you. What kind of hobbying do you do? I am a 28-millimeter skirmish-level modern war gamer. Awesome. So, yes. Typically post-World War II, I've had my World War II phase, uh, which which lasted quite a while, and I I kind of grew out of it, got got a little tired of it, so now I do all modern. Awesome. Any uh, particular region or just kind of a little bit here and a little bit there? Uh, I'm all over the place. Uh, probably like every war gamer in the world, right? And right now I'm focused on Vietnam. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Which leads us to Mr. Bob McKenzie. Sir, I, I think you're well, doing well, one or two things, maybe. I don't I don't know. I, I you know, didn't I you know I've Followed your work for quite a while, and you do amazing work. So what are you up to these days? What am I up to these days? Well, I seem to have turned my hobby into my into my living, <laughs> um, which is I'm not I'm, which is a good thing in many ways. Um, it makes going to work, like just walking out the bedroom and walking into my office, so much easier. Uh-huh. Um, but it does mean that if I need a model for my own games, then... There's an inclination not to make it because it feels like work. <laughs> sure. Still enjoying gaming a lot, though, when I get the chance. The uh, COVID lockdown has put pay to most of my games, rather, unfortunately. Um, I, too, am a modern gamer, but I can't be having with that skirmish stuff. It's too small scale. I want big battles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what is your preferred uh, scale if you're doing uh, big battles? I, at, these, at the moment, I'm running pretty much 1-300, 6 mil. Oh, awesome. Um, 
Back in the past, I was a big 20 mil guy, though. I had lots of of Fairfix and Matchbox and that sort of stuff. Can I um, interrupt super fast? Is this Bob McKenzie's, Bob McKenzie's webpage, just test of battle? Uh, yep, except it's changed its URL several times. It's now being hosted by my good friend Br- Brad, and uh, if you hang on a second, I'll give you the proper address. Hang on a second. <laughs> okay, because um, this is the same Bob McKenzie. Yeah, I've also been following your work for actually a bunch of years now, um, especially some of your Soviet uh, World War II stuff. Yeah. So the real, the, thank you. The um, the real address these days is bobmac3d.com/slash bob slash. That's the latest and most up to date version. It's had a few, it's had a few homes. My website, and I've not been as good as I perhaps should have done about uh, telling people <laughs> the, the changes in address. So bobmac3d.com/slash bob slash is where you'll find the latest update. And talking of the Gulf War, I've just uploaded a scenario for CAFG just while I was waiting here. Oh, nice. Nice. All right, guys. We've done CAFG a couple times uh, this past couple of weeks for the 30th anniversary. Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Sorry. No, sorry. I was just saying we did, uh, did CAFG a couple of weeks ago. Uh, okay. Maybe about a month ago. So it's an interesting battle. Very interesting. It's it's so different to everything else in the Gulf War, and that's probably the reason why I was interested in doing it, because you've got the you've got the Saudis and the Qataris on a show, and how shall I put this? They're not up to the standard of the U.S. and other coalition forces, <laughs> and thus that makes it interesting. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Yep. All right, so Brad and Bob, you got a little Kickstarter going right now. Why don't you tell us about it and let everybody out there know about it and where we find it and all the good inside bits. All right, we'll do. Go on, Brad. Think, you're in charge of you're in charge of publicity. Off you go. <laughs> I think the best thing to do is tell the the story behind it. Okay. And that is, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a modern war gamer and I'm working on Vietnam. I'm also a huge. 3D printing fanatic. And I know a lot of you guys are, Bill. I know you do a lot of printing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm like you. I got sucked into the 3D printing side of things for wargaming. And when I got into Vietnam, my first inclination was, I want vehicles. There's got to be vehicles out there. And I scoured the web for vehicles. And there's some stuff out there. There's M113s. There's an M48 or two. But there's nothing that really fit what I wanted. And that is, I, I game in 28 millimeter because I like the detail. I like the authenticity. I like my models to be what they're supposed to be. It's just one of those things. I think tw- some, a lot of 28 millimeter war gamers are on this verge between modeling and gaming. And I'm right there in the middle. So when I went out and looked for really nice, 3D models to print, um, I didn't find what I was looking for. There were a couple things close, and I bought them. They were either hard to print, or they weren't historically accurate, or they didn't have the level of detail that I wanted. So then I went and looked for, okay, I can't print them. I'll just buy them. I'll just buy pre-made ones. Mm -hmm. And it was difficult to find that with the level of detail I wanted. And then if you do find something that fits, they're typically, for me, 
I'm in the United States in a different country. And so the pricing to have a platoon of M113s is a little pricey. So I thought, well, I'll, uh, I'll find someone who can sculpt it for me. So I looked around, I talked to a couple artists, but I ran across Bob, uh, on Facebook, messaged him and started talking to him about commissioning a project for me. And I think it was the M113 A cab was our first model together. And I got it. It printed beautiful. And I, and I told Bob, I said, you know, of all the printing that I've done, these come out spectacular. They are just gorgeous. The detail. And I would say it's more than just the detail. I had done some contract uh, 3D modeling with other 3D modelers on the web. And they were excellent at 3D modeling, but they didn't understand the wargaming aspect and they really didn't understand the 3D printing aspect. And so it was always a struggle to be able to take those three things, the, the sculpting, the printing, and the gaming aspect, and turn out what you want. But when I ran across Bob, he was all three of those things. He was a war gamer, he was a sculptor, and he was a 3D printer. So he understood the, the intersection of those three things, and that's what allowed him to come up with this just beautiful, gorgeous models. Mm-hmm. And so together we started having conversations and I said, you know, we, we need to do something with them. And Bob said, yeah, we need, we can't just make one and have one gamer in the world have this. And so we decided that the best avenue was Kickstarter, right? Being able to, to get out there. And what Bob and I did not know was the amount of work it takes to do a Kickstarter. There's no way I could have done this alone or I don't see how people who do this by themselves can do it by themselves. It's, it's a tremendous amount of work, but we, uh, we've spent about six months preparing for the Kickstarter, making the models, painting them up, printing them, uh, doing all those types of things. And we launched it, uh, you know, pretty much at the beginning of the month here. And so it's, it's going now. Awesome. So tell, give us some details on the Kickstarter. Okay. So the Kickstarter is, we decided to focus on, well, I talked Bob into focusing on the ACAV, Armored Cavalry Units for Vietnam. So that is the M113, the M113 ACAV version, the one that has all the fun gun shields on it, Um, the Sheridan, the M48 uh, patent tank, and then the M577 Command M113 version. So those five vehicles were a great representation of the ACAB in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. They fit into all the scenarios I wanted to do. And we thought that would be the basis for the Kickstarter, which is what it is now. The, the Kickstarter's core five models. But we have two versions. We have the just the straight-up normal uh, vehicles, and then we have a version that is those same models, but full of stowage, right? So it has the chain link fence, it has ammo cans, it has, you know, all kinds of stuff on them. So you can pledge for the straight up normal vehicles, or you can pledge for what we call all in or everything, which Mm -hmm. is the stowed models and the regular models. And then of course the stretch goals and the stretch goals go into all of the detailed versions of those particular ACAV uh, models. 
that is the quick explanation of the Kickstarter. Awesome. So what can you break down like the pledges or, you know, those type of things? So we have straight up just this is our first Kickstarter together. Bob and I are going to do several different Kickstarters. So okay. we thought for our first one, we're going to try to keep it simple and just learn the whole process. So we have essentially two different pledge levels. The first one being for just the, the five vehicles plus stretch goals, which is a $40 pledge. And then we have a what we call an all-in, which is the same five vehicles, but in a stowed version. So you get the stowed version, the regular version, plus all those stretch goals. And those are the two different levels that are out there. We do have a third, which is for people who want to produce it commercially and, and sell the physical bottles. So technically, we have three different levels, but two traditionally is the one that most people are looking at. It's interesting to see that the uh, the more expensive the stowed models is by far the most popular popular one by about three or four to one. Um, those those the stowed models they look cool and it's the ones that people want. And I'll make a quick mention that that when I was talking about that intersection between Wargamer, 3D modeler, and 3D printer, it really comes into play on the stowed versions because Bob has done a tremendous amount of research. And when you looked at the stowed models, it isn't as if someone just put a bunch of boxes and bags and cans on it. Mm-hmm. He really made them look like the images and pictures from Vietnam. So they really fit. They really look good. They have that fit and finish to them that makes you want to makes you want to game yeah they look really great and um it'd be interesting to see so are they um i think i saw a comment on the kickstarter page uh do you have them set up the files set up so they're printing hollow or are they printing as a solid piece um you know for the whole um you know because if you know if you print it on a resin printer that's a lot of resin and that's going to be pretty heavy uh, they're 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 all hollowed best we're able. Um, not only does it save you resin, uh, you're much more likely to have your support survive the process sure. and come out with a model when they're hollowed. Yeah. So for lots of good reasons, I've hollowed them out. Um, awesome. Printing solid at 28 mils asking for trouble. Yeah. I'll also mention real quick that each each of the models comes in three scales, right? 20 millimeter. 15 millimeter and 28 millimeter. Each one of those scales also comes pre-supported. Nice. So our goal is, is if, if you subscribe to the Kickstarter, when you get your rewards, you can throw them on the build plate and print them, no matter what scale you use. Excellent. And, and sorry, we couldn't do one 300 because the detail he put in it is just, just would not carry through. What? Oh, come on. I, I've actually printed <laughs> one or two at one 300 and they come out very nicely indeed. The trouble is, bits of them would break in a stiff breeze. They, they need <laughs> they need some work and to be beefed up to be suitable to game with. Yeah, they look nice, but they're too flimsy. Yeah, I, I got that. Yeah, yeah. That, I do it, like it how you guys have. Sorry, I do like how you guys have thrown in a free sample as well, so people can uh, have a try of the files, which is very cool. Yeah, we thought so. I, I, it's it, you know. I know to some people forty dollars or eighty dollars ain't a lot of money, but to some people it's a lot of cash, and it's nice to try before you buy. So people can they can have a go with it, see what they think. Excellent. Yeah, I I definitely uh, appreciate that as well because 
I have gotten some 3D print files that, you know, you either pay for upright or through a Kickstarter. And no matter what I did, I could not get them to print like they showed in the, in the, you know, the campaign or the page. So uh, it's nice to be able to have a sample model. We made a a very conscious decision that pretty much everything we were going to show was an actual printed model. So you're not looking at renders on our, on our Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. You're looking at actual models that Brad has printed. So you know they're going to print. Most definitely. Uh, I'm looking at your uh, page right now as we speak, and I tell you what, these uh, the vehicles with the stowage is just incredible. Um, that is just amazing. I'm looking at the, uh looks like an M113 uh, with the stowage on it, uh, the cupola and everything, and it looks amazing. So, yeah, and you guys you, have done an amazing job. If you go to our Facebook page, which is Bob, Bob Mac 3D, uh, there's a lot more pictures. Is there? Okay. We, over the last six months, we have, well, actually, since January, we started releasing pictures of the printed models and the painted up versions. And so there's a lot, there's a lot more online than, than the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter is a little limiting of what you can, you know, how much bandwidth you have to, to post pictures. Mm-hmm. Well, the issue with the Kickstarter isn't so much how much bandwidth you have to post pictures. It's one linear one linear page. The more pictures you post, the further you have to scroll down to find the information. <laughs> That's true. It's, yeah, it's my least favorite aspect of the Kickstarter. It would be nice to have some flexibility. Yeah, I'm hoping we can get to the point where you unlock the VADs. Um, that would be awesome. So. Yeah. Wouldn't it just? Yeah, I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to modeling that. That should be. That should be. That should. That should be really cool. Um, bit of research to do first. I'm not sure whether they actually put the fire control radars on the ones in Vietnam or not. So, but other than that, I'm really keen to have a go at that. Yeah, I'm not sure, Jim. Do you know what the system was on the Vietnam version? Uh, I'm going to assume no, but that's a huge assumption. Okay. Um, North Vietnamese aircrafts did not operate over South Vietnam. That was absolutely not the case. All the dogfights took place over North Vietnam. I think there was one MiG-17 that buzzed Quezon once in March of 68, and it lasted about 10 seconds, and they never tried it again because reasons. Yeah. So that would only be my guess, but my guess would be no. Gotcha. Yeah, what I know about it is they they wanted to test these and aircraft versions, you know, these, this large gun, and they brought them on as base uh, protection. And so they, they weren't using them in an aircraft role. They are using them for, for a ground role. Hmm. And as I understand it, they did it, um, were used in combat. And I was reading something on the, on the web, and I believe that a Medal of Honor was, was won in one of the actions that was uh, involving the that if you if you go to our kickstarter page and scroll down to the m163 picture and look at the text underneath i've linked the after action report because it's available on dtic so if you really want it in oh, yeah, amazing detail yeah <laughs> you can go there and you can click um and it probably tells me in there it's just i haven't got around to haven't got around to reading it properly yet it's on my to-do list interesting Excellent. A uh, M61 Vulcan gun, six barrels, 20 millimeter, firing full automatic on like onrushing Viet Cong or NVA Main Force Battalion infantry would be a sight to see. Yeah, 
As long as you were on the right side of that <laughs> transaction, that, that would be fun to watch. Um, yeah, that would be devastating. Just not on the wrong <laughs> side. Wow. Well, with my war, war nerd head on, um, I'm not so sure they didn't fire in short bursts. In fact, I'm almost certain they did, because you'd get barrel overheating if you just kept the trigger down. And certainly they used to run out of ammunition really fast. One of the little bit of the after action report that I, that I, that I read. Yeah. One of the key conclusions was we're not carrying enough onboard ammunition for this. So it's perhaps not quite as awesome as you might suppose. <laughs> it's awesome for about three seconds. Yeah, that'd be about right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of carrying on board, your, uh, I think it's your first stretch goal there with all of the, uh, uh, extra stowage. I mean, that's, that's a lot of stuff. And, you know, I kind of fall into the category that you guys are describing somewhere between, uh, modeler and, uh, and gamer. You know, I, and I, I love all that, that stuff that you can, you can add on and, you know, have about your, your vehicles and on the table and whatnot. That's pretty cool looking stuff. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll throw in again, Bob researched all that stuff. And so that is Vietnam era stowage. Of course, it works into Cold War as well because it's the same gear. But all the cans are correct. All the, the details are correct for that stowage. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Mermite container for crying out loud. <laughs> Getting flashbacks to basic training on that. <laughs> yeah. So where do you guys go from here? What's next? What's coming down the pipe? What can we look for? Uh, might be top secret, but we'll, oh, let, yeah. we'll, we'll let Brad decide. Go on. <laughs> I'd like to keep it top secret at this point. Focus on our, our current one. Okay. But you can I, – I will say this. Our goal is to do several more Kickstarters based in the modern era. I would, I'd say at least how about Cold War? I'll give you that much. Okay. That the next set of vehicles are going to be Cold War vehicles. We've already, Bob has already started sculpting them and they are amazing. So if you're a fan of Cold War armor, I think that you're going to be extremely pleased. Excellent. Excellent. So, guys, um, anybody else have any questions for Brad and Bob? Or uh, if not, uh, you know, Brad, Bob, if you guys have any final thoughts or anything else you'd like to let everybody know about, please, uh, this is your time. Uh, the only thing I quickly mentioned is to find the Kickstarter. Probably the easiest way to find it is going to our website, which is bobmac3d.com, and there's a button on there to back the Kickstarter. I'll also mention that we have an email sign up. So if you, if you aren't interested in Vietnam, but you want to be in the know for our next Kickstarter or the, the Cold War vehicles or modern vehicles, whatever it may be, sign up for that newsletter. So that way we can keep you informed. Excellent. Well, we will definitely do that. So guys, make sure you're following on their page. And Brad, again, what is the Facebook page to follow you on? It's uh, it's Bob Mac 3D. Okay, and Facebook page. and then your and website, our website again. BobMac3D.com. Perfect. All right, uh, we want to thank Brad and Bob for joining us, guys. You're welcome to stick around if you're not. If not, we totally understand. You got lives like everybody else. So, uh, thank you very much. I'm going to stick around for a little bit. Of that's course, okay. you're more more than welcome. I, I to have be a part very demanding small daughter, small daughter who I'm going to have to sort out. No so I'm worries. going to love you and leave you. But it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having us on. Thanks, Bob. Um, it's a pleasure. Well, thanks, Bob. Me. 
I've enjoyed it. Thank you, and it's a pleasure oh, to talk to a, a living that. legend. So uh, <laughs> we appreciate it. Thank you very Great much. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Take care, Bob. All right. It is that time. You know what time we're talking about. It's news time with Gaz. Give me the latest and greatest news. Oh, boy, oh, boy, it's news time with Gaz. Come on, give it to me. Give me the news. <laughs> At least Jim feels my pain now with his version <laughs> as well. <laughs> I believe we were just discussing this yesterday, and oh. I'm telling you, creepy computer girl. It's not Dear creepy. Lord. I think it's no, am, I, am I feeling your pain, Gaz? Yes. The problem yeah. for you is I'm I'm kind of into that stuff. So. <laughs> just say uh, well, so, 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 so you know, uh, before we get Gaz going here, I tried really, really hard to find some type of James Bondish theme music without getting a copyright strike. I could not find anything. That wouldn't have gotten us dinged. So I had to pick something else. So I tried really, really hard uh, to get you some kind of James Bond theme music. And uh, well, anything so with a Bill, steel guitar might have worked, but yeah, <laughs> copyright is a thing. So, yeah. so what think, Bill is saying is that at 500 subscribers, he's going to buy the right <laughs> to the music. <laughs> No, 500 subscribers on uh, on YouTube. We're almost there. Yeah, we're getting right? close. We're getting close. <laughs> Are we gonna have like a weekly meltdown at the news every time we do this? <laughs> it's becoming a thing, isn't it? We barely, we barely get through the news five minutes later. <laughs> oh my god! Cool. Say it like it's a bad thing. Yeah, right. It's, yeah. Well, it is for me because I have to hear it every time. But you know, <laughs> I'm sure I'll get used to it. I'll become numb to it at some point. <laughs> And I'll just break straight. One day we'll just break straight into the news after it, and it'll just—that's the time to change it to something that's more, <laughs> worse. <laughs> just bite the pillow and think of England. You'll be fine. Oh. You know, we've been doing it for years, haven't we? Um, <laughs> so uh, let's well go right into after it. Yes. Short um, <laughs> tangent. Let's uh, get into the news and see what's uh, happening in the world today. Yes, sir. So um, we're going to kick off with uh, well, Warlord Games, actually. Uh, specifically, they're taking pre-orders now for the U.S. sector uh, in 1944 landings, uh, which will cover the road from Carantan to the assault on uh, Fort Montbury. Uh, it's a new book. It's over 150 pages, so I'd like to think you've got some real options and choices of all the uh, engagements for the transition from the beach inland. Uh, and it'll also cover some of the other allied forces that were in the sector, such as the SAS and the Partisans. Um, and if you currently go in on the pre-order, there's a themed miniature of war photographer Robert Kappa as part of it, which is uh, a really nice addition and quite themed. It'd be something really nice to have on the board just as a sort of an NPC running around doing some war photography. Awesome. Um, I think um, they've gradually been working their way through the different sectors, to be fair, of the D-Day landings. Um, uh, we kind of know what's coming with that, and I'm interested to see, once they've worked through them all, where they transition to after. Because mm -hmm. I'm not saying they run out of real estate. That's pretty much almost impossible for the next 20 years or so. It's just where they prioritize. Um, where they move to next, I think, is going to be the most interesting part of that. 
I agree. Um, I'm not familiar with Fort Montberry. I, I'm gonna. It's a good anybody... job we have a historical editor, then. Right. <laughs> I wonder. Play if, the uh, intro. Play right. the intro. Play the intro. <laughs> Mr. Oriskany, why don't you warm us up with a snippet of history on this subject? Oh, James, don't make the story too short. I so enjoy a really long story, especially when I hear your wise voice, James. Oh, yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's literally going to stay on mute, is he? No. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah, that's a weird one. Um, what's the name of it? Monterey? Uh, Montberry? Montberry. M-O-N-T-B-A-R-E-Y. So it's a mountain, um, so, but you said it's a fort. It says, yeah, fort. Yeah. Nothing come to mind with that one, Jim? Uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, not really. Wow, we stumped him. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Ooh, what to do with the uh, stumped him. Please. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, did everybody else hear the other word that he didn't say in their head? <laughs> Before the please? Uh-huh. No. B A R E Y? M O N T B A R E Y, yeah. Well, Google doesn't know it either, and neither does Google Maps. Interesting. It has to do with the American sector at, at, uh, at, at Normandy? It says, uh, according to the Facebook or the webpage from Warlord Games, U.S. Sector 44, the road to Carentan to the assault on Fort Montberry. So that's right. I know where Carentan is. I've freaking been there. Um, that's between Utah and Gold. Uh, I'm sorry, Utah and Omaha. I'm looking at at, uh, at Carentan right now. Um, yeah, apparently it's stumping a lot of people because nobody nobody's able to find it at the moment. It's a uh, hold on. So I imagine however long, months after, whatever whatever the book covers in time as well is is probably going to be longer than just the immediate landings. Yep, yep. Oh, except, uh, oh, we're talking down the content, the content of Peninsula. Okay, um, cool. No, I don't really know very much about that. That's kind of a sideshow. Hmm. Um, the main U.S. thrust goes down south toward... Uh, other battlefields I've been to and traveled uh, down toward Mort- uh, Mont- uh, Morton, and then pivots uh, westward. Uh, I'm sorry, eastward. That's where you get you know Patton's big breakthrough toward the Falaise Gap. Um, so if it's, it's if it's over near Brest, then uh, no, I do not know about it. According to Military Wiki, I don't know how reliable this page is. This fort was used uh, by fi- the Germans in I 19- finally just found it. Okay. You know, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's all right. Germans in 1944 who installed a parachute battalion, so they had Falschemager there, during the siege of the Brest by the Americans. It was after many assaults and use of tanks and flamethrowers 
that the garrison surrendered on 16 September 44. Yes, flamethrowers. After all being left out of the war, holy crap, 16 September. That was right before uh, Arnhem. Yeah, this is the extreme, I finally found it, uh, the extreme um, western tip of that, uh, if I'm saying it right, my French is terrible, uh, the Cotentin Peninsula. Wow. So the original landings uh, were uh, definitely to the east of that, and they sort of sealed that off. The original plan, this is how great um, the the original uh, D-Day plan was. In case anyone ever tries to tell you that the D-Day plan actually worked, they can bring this up. Um, The the plan was to seal that off with the invasions along Normandy and then, um, you know, capture those ports intact, and that was going to be... you know, the source of supply going forward for the big push east across the rest of, you know, right. metropolitan France. It, it didn't work at all. And the proof is in the date you just read off. We were taking the last ports right before Arnhem happened. Well, the, the front line is already basically along the German border by that point. Uh, and we never did take any of those ports, at least not intact. Uh, Cherbourg, the Germans pretty much blew up um, after a huge battle and, uh, Oh, this is not even the Contentin Peninsula. This is no. all the, this is the Brittany Peninsula. Holy yeah. crap! Yeah, I this mean, is I'm way looking at the map, and it is way off to the west. You know, yeah. I mean, outside of the entire landing zone. I mean, I don't know why they just didn't cut it off and just. Why would you assault that? Just cut it off you and let me, it starve itself. The plan. The plan was we needed those ports. Oh, okay. Saint-Malo, Cherbourg, um, yeah, Brest, that was the plan. The plan was to land, you know, along the invasion beaches, you yeah. know, Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, the sword, you know, uh, that whole, you know, Con slash uh, San Miraglis corridor there, and then, you know, strike south, and now what we've done is the Americans are close to those western ports. You pivot to the west, you take those ports intact, and... Um, the British, who landed much further to the east uh, near Caen, are going to take Le Havre. Again, my French is terrible. I apologize to a host of cultures. And they're right there. They're right next to Paris. Not right next to, but they're very close to Paris. And they're supposed to make a strike toward Paris. So the Americans are supposed to basically turn to the west. The British are supposed to turn to the east. And that's going to be the ball game. And, yeah, that, that trash did not happen at all. The Germans had uh, had the Allies bottled up in Normandy for the better part of two and a half months. You have Kahn, which turns into an absolute meat grinder for the British and Commonwealth. And for the Americans, it was uh, San Lo. turns into an absolute slaughter. And by the time anybody even gets close to any of those ports, the Germans have them well fortified. You know, Hitler gives his stand and die orders, and uh, the Germans follow suit. And, you know, they either, you know, deny those ports way too long or they just blow them up. They blow up all the port facilities. And that's where you have problems. Like That's one of the reasons Market, Gar- Market Garden failed. That's one of the reasons we get into the Hurricane Force. That's one of the reasons the Germans had a chance yeah. to launch uh, the Argonne Offensive. That's the reason the war didn't end in 1944 is every single bag of tea, every single pound of coffee, every bullet, every every nut, every bolt, every gallon of fuel had to be driven by that Red Ball Express we probably all, all heard about. Um, where they have to get these trucks and these huge convoys all the way from Normandy. They're still loading off of LCTs and LSTs, you know, the stupid old-fashioned way, getting on these crappy roads and then driving all the way across the entire body of northern France to get to that to get to that supply point. Hmm. Um, that's what happens when you don't take the ports. 
Yeah. And apparently, Mont, now, yeah. Uh, Fort Montberry, which no, I have not heard of. Um, this is cool. I actually learned something today. Is uh, yeah, these little battles way out to the west that I've never really gotten into. Does it say what what divisions, uh, what American divisions were involved in there, or uh, not on the page I saw? No. Okay. Cool. No, no. I think um, it's like you say. It's, it's going to be quite a nice read then. I think for a lot of people that. Um, are well educated about that specific landing and where the Americans went from there, it might challenge some of their knowledge to, and maybe that's why they've done it. Instead of going down the route everybody knew, maybe they've looked into oh, some sorry, areas yeah. that we have. When it comes to Normandy, it's like, yeah, Carentan, Sam Aragliese, Morton, Alberon, Spolais Gap. We all, it's like going through the Star Wars trilogies. It's like, we've all seen that movie, dude. We've all, this is, like, you know, if you look at the map, it's way off the beaten path, way off to the west. Yeah, um, I, I had no clue. I mean, Certainly heard of Brest, and I certainly know about these fort battles, but the actual fort? No, I'd never heard of that fort. Hmm. All right. Awesome. Very All right, Gaz, we're going to transition to the uh, 19th century. What's next from Warlord? Indeed. Um, so something that's uh, been growing, it's something we featured when it originally came out, is Warlord Games' Epic Battles, American Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, we initially saw the Union the Confederate as army box sets, along with a few buildings from key battles, and these have now been expanded upon, as well as the bundles that you can pick up uh, to include not only Union and Confederate brigades, but now also cavalry brigades, iron brigades, and I want to say Zouave's regiments. Mm-hmm, correct. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. You are. Um, as well as uh, an increase into the scenery packages, which such as trees, fence lines, and some more buildings to add to it, and some specific paint sets um, for each of the sides so that you can focus on just buying the paints that you need. This is um, really turning into something a bit special if you're a big fan of the American Civil War. For example, uh, one of their bundles um, contains nearly 3,000 15mm infantry. Uh, so, yeah, you can you can lay out that mat in your garden <laughs> and feel free to go, go and reenact some of these uh, huge battles and put the numbers, or at least representative, put the numbers on the on that gaming mat or that board. Yeah, I'm waiting on my set. I, I, I did the pre-order, go figure. So I'm waiting yeah. on the, that big set with the buildings and the 3,000 guys. So, wow. Right? So Bart Marty's got some work ahead of him. Then. <laughs> it's just, well, it's just, you know, <laughs> Bill, Bill's got the driveway we can play it in, so that's what, <laughs> you know, important. Hose it down in the summer and get that mat laid out. <laughs> Does this mean, uh, Bill, that we're finally going to get to that Devil's Den project we were talking about 86 years ago? (laughs) I sure hope so. I still have those boxes of Perry miniatures sitting here, go figure, uh, to do Devil's Den. So, um, Devil's Den in 28 millimeter would be insane. I mean, you would almost need like a real mountain to to set up your. You know, it's kind of funny you say that, Jim, because I think the first words out of your mouth when I had the idea was, "That's insane." Kind of, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Fifteen mil sounds a little bit more plausible, and even then, it's going to be like like Gas was saying. You know, one guy, you like, they, they, there's like eighteen guys on a stand, and that's a regiment or something of yeah. six hundred, or who knows what, something like that. 
So, I, yeah. I suppose the really nice thing about it is the ranges are actually very short, whereas most of our games that we play, we always talk about the range, don't mm-hmm. we? Whereas when you get down to 15 mil, these these guys are going to be practically, the width of the unit will be the distance between the two opposing enemies as they engage. Well, one thing that we've always said, or maybe we haven't, if, if not, I'll correct it now, is when we have that, that you know daily rant about range, that's always after 1900. Yeah. Yep. Once you get before thir- once you get before 1900, before the invention of smokeless powder, uh, yeah, a musket shoots if you're lucky 200 feet. You know, it's that whole range thing goes. Right. That's when miniature gaming really works again, is when you're in anything before 1900, as far as you know, big battle games, especially at 1500, absolutely. Most. I think I can honestly say that this would probably be one of the best visuals to see as a, a let's play or just even just covering a table setup um, the sheer volume of infantry at close quarters the cannons the odd horse you know the odd horsemen mm-hmm. now the cavalry brigade the iron brigade being put in there the houses and everything at that at those ranges at that scale uh, i think is is going to be sort of museum quality special uh oh did you hear that marty it would be nice. Yeah. And, yeah I, brought me a, I brought an entrenching yeah. tool with me for you today, Mark. If I'm not mistaken, one of the regiments, I might be wrong on this, but if I'm not mistaken, wasn't one of the regiments of Iron Brigade from Illinois? Yes. Uh, I was going to say, it's mostly Michigan, Minnesota right? and Wisconsin, but I think there was yep. at least one from Illinois. I believe you're correct, sir. Yeah, that'll be that. the one that's painted nice. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. The, the ones from uh, Wisconsin. You'll be, you, you'll be able to tell me. <laughs> the ones from Wisconsin will be able yeah. to tell. They'll be green and gold. Yeah. Damn. So, uh, yeah, that, that was a specific <laughs> regiment in First Corps uh, Army of the Potomac, uh, the Black Hats. Um, I'm actually trying to look them up now. I want, so the, the, do the uh, do the Iron Brigade? I don't know if you can tell, uh, guys. In the uh, Iron Brigade miniatures, do they actually have like different headgear, or is it even possible to tell? Uh, with what I've got, I can't actually oh, okay. see. No I'd have to, I'd, yeah. Um, I want to say the regiments themselves are generic. Let me just bring up they, the they Iron Brigade. They are pretty again. generic, but I know there's minute um, Iron Brigade. I'm looking at the page right now yeah i'm looking at wisconsin and uh and michigan i could have sworn there was one from illinois or indiana like the general midwest northern part of the midwest so um, it looks like they have yeah, those guys those guys were everywhere uh, oh, like, think, oh indiana okay close yeah they got white okay. brim hats um uh, it, the miniatures have white brim and some with the uh, brim you know folded up so that's kind of what which i think is correct and they're in long coats so, I think that's going to be safe small, but yeah, yeah. Um, and so Bill, one of the things cool about this, you know, playing while while we're playing this in your driveway, mm-hmm. uh, this will justify that 4K uh, drone that you want, right? Oh dear, nice. you know, <laughs> I, we all get threatened by dawn at certain points. <laughs> uh, mine was when I showed Bill an RC version of a Blackhawk that was like yeah. a one. 16th scale yeah. or something stupid. I got in trouble but for you that. You did get away with uh, uh, showing him uh, the entire range of contrast paints. Uh, that's because it was a, a blind. I waited until she drifted off to another part of the store and then ran over and went, Bill, these are great. Look at all these. It's like only 37 of them. They're only like 
five books each. These are the best thing ever. And so by the time she came back, he bought them all. And uh, I promptly said it was his idea, and then he blamed me, and we were, she was kind of caught between a rock and a hard place with the decision. And chose not to punish us both, which I was very Meanwhile, Bill's taking a second mortgage out on the house for pink. <laughs> yeah, this is this is why Don likes me. When when Bill wanted to do all of Devils in twenty millimeter, I told him that's crazy, that's insane. Don't do it. Turn back now. Everybody else says, "Go for it, go for it, go for it." Uh, she she understands. She has her things too, so she gets it. All right, Gaz, let's roll on out. Uh, Wild Buildings has got another Kickstarter already. They just finished one. Hell yes! Yeah. So he's checked. <laughs> Pack a little bit, which I'm kind of interested in. I've been keeping an eye on Wild Buildings for a while, and we own as a as a company and as individuals some of their files mm-hmm. and a previous Kickstarter for their uh, Vietnam stuff. The terrain of which would go very well with the recent uh, chat about the U.S. vehicles coming. Uh, this particular one actually is a special, so it's rather than the usual cost. It's I think it's twenty twenty dollar buy in. And he's basically designed from the film and built everything from the Kelly's Heroes bank robbery. That's crazy. So from all the pictures, he's already done this with Saving Private Ryan, the final scene with the bridge and Mm -hmm. the the armor and the Germans pushing in. Uh, Jim, one of Jim's favorite moments in that with that 20 millimeter that they're rolling around. I know you're a big (laughs) fan of that scene, Jim. And, uh, I'm, a big fan, I'm a big fan of that shot. That's the scene, realism of it, yeah. That scene in general is where the movie kind of goes off the rails for me because uh, never mind, I won't get into it. <laughs> but um, that's a, that's a weapon that you run across and in, uh, in, in all kinds of games in like every system. You run, in 28 millimeter games, 15 millimeter games, Valor and Victory, Panzer Leader, and not a lot of people know what it is. But everybody is seeing Saving Private Ryan. So whenever we're talking about it on stream, I'm like, remember that gun? Yeah. That's what I'm firing now. Then I roll the dice and I roll a one, and it doesn't do anything. But I try to make it sound scary before I fail. <laughs> so um, from this, uh, basically, he, the film was located and done in a town called uh, Vizinada. So he's gone there, got the information, took the information not only from the film but how the town actually looks. Uh, so it's especially priced themed kickstarter and has only two packages available uh, it does have the usual you can do extra levels of payment to get previous kickstarters mm-hmm. which is always nice because you can go back and grab something you've missed in the past uh, which is a regular feature of what he does unusually this one is now going to change format when it goes into his store it'll go up to full price so pretty much for twenty dollars you're getting stl's um, for the square itself, and in addition, for a slightly more, you can get a further 10 buildings, which is five buildings in a ruined format and five buildings complete, so you can add on to that area. As a single sort of package bundle for an STL, looking at the imagery here, you're looking at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 terrain features that are full size that you could lay out, put your rods in where you want in between, and either do justice and lay it out as it was in the film, or take it to one side and bring this all together into what is a town centre of a table and 
you know, it's crazy when you think about this will work at 15 mil as a town center. It'll do 28 mil for bolt action and be super detailed because his files are good enough to transition between those layers. And for the price, that's that's a lot of real estate you're getting for the money as well. Yeah. <sighs> All right. I, you know, the funny thing is I just got a message from him with my last pledge for the other Alamo uh, that I backed. So thanks to Gaz. Um, and I have to pick the other extra Kickstarter I would like. So, yeah. All right. Uh, there, there is one that you and Martin might actually like for modern. No. So in one of his previous Kickstarters, he did a subway station. Yeah. So it's underground. So you go down the steps and everything else then would be underground. That'd be cool. So if you were playing something like Battle Space, you could play SWAT Ooh. team versus escaping bank robbers or something. That'd be awesome. That'd yeah. be really cool. an underground. That'd be really NPCs. Cool. Yeah, he's done the trains, and he's done them so you can move in the trains as well. Nice. All right, speaking of modern. Okay, now, now i got to look. <laughs> you can wait modern, until after. <laughs> Mythic Games has announced uh, a board game. Um, Indeed. I am hesitant on this one, Gaz. Why don't you tell us about it, and I'll tell you why. So all we've had is an initial announcement and a 15-second teaser video, which the link will be below, and it is Rainbow Siege 6. So for those that are not computer-inclined and play a lot of the first-person shooters, one of the most successful recent squad-based games has been Rainbow Siege 6, where two teams, one defending and one sort of punching in to achieve different goals, be it get to a computer or rescue hostages. Uh, you have an assault on a building and a defending set on a building. And it's been, it's still very strong now for such a sort of limited gameplay style on a small area. It's been hugely successful and still has a huge following. So it's not unusual to see this transition. And it's interesting to see Mythic Games sort of move away from, I want to say, not quite fantasy, but uh, gaming styles that have come from tabletop and other things and move into a different medium, which is transition from a computer game to tabletop. Yeah. So um, here's, here's why I'm hesitant on this one. It's based on a video game, and it's a first-person shooter. Um, I don't know how well that's going to translate to a, a board game or tabletop game. I don't. Maybe I'm just being overcritical on it. Um, you know, because you're going to see you. I'm going to see. You know, there isn't that element of you pop around a corner and there's a guy and you pop him. You know, it, I mean, I don't know how they're going to bring that to a tabletop. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they've done Reichbusters, so they've already had team level games mm -hmm. moving through buildings and, and yeah. other such uh, areas it's it's but that's you basically activate once you walk in the room you activate what's in the room mm -hmm. i can see this being very similar but how they're gonna change the dynamics to feature a opposing player game system rather than an ai versus a team of players yeah. means they're gonna have to completely you know, come at this from a different angle. Yeah. But we know they do good products. We know sometimes their Kickstarters run a little late, but what you get at the end is, you know, exactly what they've said and it is to a high quality. So there's a couple of ups and downs with that side of it. I think there'll be, 
This is going to be interesting to see how they get through this Kickstarter mm-hmm. with this being another company's IP. So that getting approval side of things, and, and we've seen we've seen yeah. other Kickstarters fall foul of the exactly. I was just the approval say that. process. Yeah. yeah, how many companies um, that we know personally? that they've taken on an IP of some big franchise and just fall flat on their face or on some occasion it actually ended the company because they just couldn't produce, you know, because you have to, for anybody who's not familiar with the process, when you pick up an IP and I'm going to use aliens and everybody's going to grumble about this Kickstarter because it was like the big Kickstarter that didn't produce uh, in many ways. But you got to understand, every time they created a sculpt, they had to send it to 20th Century Fox, to whoever at 20th Century Fox, to approve that sculpt or say, no, we don't like this, we don't like this. Send it back, then produce a final render, send that to Fox, have them approve that. So they had to do that for every single piece, every single writing, every single board. Anything and everything with the game had to go through an approval process, which took months much more time than they had planned on because they didn't understand or didn't realize that the process, because to 20th Century Fox, you producing a game is not their most important thing. So they get to you when they get to you. So that produced a lot of issues. Um, yeah, but it's not that big of a deal because 20th Century Fox is not like a large company or anything. It's, you know... Well, Chime, yeah. Chime that was my failed attempt at sarcasm. Yeah, it's number one. It's a huge company. Right. I mean, good God! And uh, you know, if something comes across our desk, this isn't the next you know billion dollar movie. Oh, this is a board game that's going to sell for fifty bucks, and we might sell a couple hundred units worldwide. Oh yeah, well, I'm going to go ahead and put that on the top of the pile. Yeah. And you know, for these guys, the guys who are trying to produce it, obviously, you know, it's, it is their top priority. But you know, for a company like 20th Century Fox, maybe not so much. Or they maybe 20th Century Fox didn't even understand the project. Mm-hmm. It was so far out of their normal, you know, operational, you know, business model that they didn't even, you know, they they, they, did, they didn't have a team set up for it as far as you know approvals and reviews and things like that. Right. So yeah, it's a Chatting tricky with process. With guys on the project, there was about five levels of pr- of proofing. Mm-hmm. And on some of the occasions, they got through the first three adjustments to find the fourth guy took them backwards to a previous yeah. version. Yeah. So they'd, they'd made the adjustments as they wanted. And then the, the guy that was actually higher, the next level of management said, well, I really like it except for this, which took them backwards to what they were before. And that was one of the big reasons. So it was taking four to six months to get approval for a single miniature. Yeah. It's it, it's a crazy process, and it just really gummed up the works. And um, so, I mean, that's just one example. I know a couple examples where people have taken on IPs, and it and it's a nightmare. So, um, yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll keep an open mind and see how it goes. It might be a good entry. Yeah, I was going to say, as, as far as, um, you know, are they going to be able to translate what you get in the video game onto the tabletop or whatever? I honestly don't think they really should. I mean, the whole reason of taking a given – uh, game idea or IP over to a new platform, a new uh, media a medium, I should say, is to get a different experience. Yeah. Uh, like like when you're playing Air War C21, you've got a group of aircraft and you've got to coordinate with ground forces. You've got to attack ground targets. You got to watch out for SAMs. You've got to coordinate with your own SAMs. 
it's a it's much more of a strategy of several planes. Okay, you don't do that in a flight simulator. So when you're playing a flight simulator, like if you're playing like, well, how are you going to get that DCS world? You know, Air War C-21 can't possibly match DCS world for, you know, the realism of sitting in the cockpit or, you know, that first person view. And mm-hmm. well, it's not trying to do that. It's trying to do a, a little bit of a wider strategy, you know, kind of a thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it'll be something like that. Like you've got, you like, I think as was mentioned, you're managing a whole team. Well, that right there isn't first person. You're managing a team. It's going to require at least some level of top down, tactical, you know, control view. Yeah, most definitely. We'll see. We will see. All right, last bit of news, Gaz. Um, you've got here. Go ahead. And I can talk yeah, about it if you want me to. I Excellent. Yeah, so the initial announcement is that Little Wars 2021 is currently planned for the end of April. I know you guys have attended in the past, so I believe this is the best time for me to hand over to you guys to have a chat about it. So uh, Little Wars is a very small uh, historical ga- uh, gaming miniatures uh, wargaming convention here in Illinois. It's usually, uh, the last few years it's been, and I think again this year, it's in Lombard, which is a suburb of Chicago. Uh, it's at the Westin, Marty? Okay, Marty dropped out. All right. Um, so You'll have to give him time to unmute. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's at the Westin. Um it's where Adepticon yes, used to be. Yes, it's at held. the Westin. Sorry, I hit the wrong button. No there. worries. Um, so, of course, because of reduced numbers, uh, because of COVID, uh, there are only allowed 400 participants this year. So that's going to reduce the footprint size of the convention uh, to one of the ballrooms uh, versus taking up the whole center or multiple rooms. Um so I'm not sure if they're going to be in the main ballroom or one of the side ballrooms. We'll have to see. Because last last time I went, they had one of the side ballrooms was set up as like their vendor area. Uh, another one, the, the other two were set up for gaming. Um, so uh, it's it's all historical um, gaming. And they have some really good, uh, you know, obviously you'll have your typical World War II stuff. You'll have some moderns. You'll have uh, 18th century, 19th century. You know, all that stuff is pretty much covered. Um, so it's a, it's a really good time. Uh, it's the last weekend of April this year, and we will be there Friday afternoon and, um, about five or six hours on Saturday covering it. Um, so that's exciting. Um, I saw that they put in their announcement. They gave us top billing. Huh? I shared that to our page. Yeah. So, uh, that's exciting. Um, they're, they're excited. Yep, we're working on some new merch. Hopefully, we can bring some merch with us. That would be nice too. Um, so we're working on that. Uh, so it's it, it's it's kind of like a warm up event for Historicon, is how I look at it. So um, I, we still have not heard of Historicon is a go. Um, Brad, do you go to Historicon? So I, I've, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. I I certainly have gone several times. I haven't gone in the past couple of years. Uh-huh. I'd be shocked if it was, you know, if it, I'm shocked if it would be on time this year. I bet you it's going to be delayed. Okay. But it is a fabulous, fabulous fun time. I have not had the pleasure. I know Jim covered it with um, the Beast of War team uh, a couple years back. Um, I definitely want to go. It's been on my list. It just, uh, yeah, that's definitely one of our things. So, 
Uh, and it'd be nice to get it from our viewpoint uh, as historical war gamers. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. So that's Little Wars. That's the end of April here in Lombard. Uh, like I said, we'll be doing some live streaming um, from there, uh, from the show. So that's going to close. Go ahead. I'm sorry. With uh, the Little Wars, you said it's, it's a smaller group of people. Mm-hmm. Did they also say, did they confirm it's a smaller footprint? Or are they going to have a larger footprint so you can distance between people? No, it's going to be a smaller footprint. So, I mean, I, I would assume then they're going to use the grand ballroom, which is the largest room, which would definitely accommodate 400 people, no problem. Um, but they are down to one ballroom, so instead of multiple. Okay. So we'll see. All right. And where is Gorkan? Um, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So probably two hours west of Philadelphia. Okay. Is, is where it's normally held. I mean, who knows this year? Um, but the facility that they've been using for a while, they finally changed. They went to a bigger, you know, more, uh, uh, structurally intact. I've heard a lot of horror stories about where they used to hold Historicon. Let's put it that way. Uh, but the facility that they hold it at now, or that they've held it the last couple of years, again, COVID-19, the cosmic reset button. Um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, where we went, uh, it was a, it was a fabulous place. Huge. Um, I mean, not as big as Gen Con or anything, obviously, but um, a nice big convention, plenty of room, uh, hundreds of tables. Um, yeah, about two hours west of Philadelphia. Awesome. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and close out the news and transition into some topics of discussion. So, Gaz, uh, you brought up, uh, do we still war game because of habit, because of remembered times, or because we still enjoy it for another reason? Uh, why don't you kick us off there? You brought it up. so. Yeah, I've been thinking about this recently. I've sort of stockpiled some models over the time, probably the last couple of years, thinking I'll get to these, and I've actually recently been selling them uh, i've literally put on 30 items today on facebook on facebook on ebay to wow. to get rid of the stuff i've looked ahead to say okay these these are the models i'll likely get done in the next couple of years that's that's all i kind of need mm-hmm. and then the period of time we've had in lockdowns and being separated has now got me questioning do i miss it do i really miss the gaming aspect of it with and and if I do, which, you know, is that gaming with certain people? Is that gaming at a club that I miss? Is it gaming at events, tournaments? What do I actually miss about it, and if, if I miss it at all? And I'm struggling to answer the question, if I'm honest, for myself. Really? Um, yeah, I um, even down to the painting side of it, I don't know if it's... We all get our flat spots in our hobby, be it creatively or even going out and playing. Mm-hmm. And I've just hit a sort of a, an unusual place for me at the end of what is as, as close, very close to coming back out of lockdown and being able to have my friend Mark over for games and go to his house for games and my other friends. So it's got me asking myself, do I even want to play anymore? Wow. Um, am I just remembering past times and that's what motivates me to do the hobby or am I doing it because I bought paints and I've got brushes and I've got models. Therefore I should do it because I've got this stuff. Is that sort of pressuring me forward? 
it's um yeah i'm in an unusual place right now that's uh very interesting um is there like one or two games that really still kind of hold your interest that you miss playing or just no kind of blase about <laughs> the whole aspect yeah of playing? i'm kind of blase to it all right now wow are you having some lockdown uh, malaise? Um, I don't. Or do you think, think your so. priorities have just shifted, or your, you know, um, your energies for hobbying? I I honestly couldn't. I I can't quantify it as part of the problem. Okay. I have a quite a wide selection of games to play, from uh-huh. historical to sci-fi to fantasy to ancient. To cards, you know, I, my friends have even more when we pool our resources and move into board games and other types of games. And I can honestly say there's literally not one that I would be excited to play as my first game coming out of lockdown. Wow. Interesting. Well, that might change once people are mixing and playing again. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably true. But it's at this point, it's challenging me in a way that I didn't expect. Mm. especially being that I used to enjoy every aspect yeah. of the hobby. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, and, and I think maybe what we'll find is that uh, as we are able to get out and join each other, you know, because part of it is just the experience of being with other people, mm-hmm. you know, like the you social know, aspect. I got destroyed in a game yesterday, which I knew was going to happen because of this <laughs> scenario. But I had a good time because I got to spend time with my friends. I got to push my little dudes around the board until they were murdered. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I think it's the, you know, the, the experience of being able to be together that, you know, was really the kind of the best part of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. But you're still quite new to hobbying as well, aren't you? True. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah. so, I don't so that's the... quite a nice perspective to get and think like asking the question here with with the other guys as well bill jim chris uh our guests is is kind of nice because it should give me a more rounded perspective from the team mm-hmm. no i agree i mean there are definitely um there are definitely certain parts that i am sick to death of um and i've always been sick to death of or at least for as far back as i can remember uh, this kind of hit me just yesterday when I'm taking down those golf boards, golf war boards. Every single time I go to set up a table, I'm like, why am I doing this? Why? Why? Um, the time it takes to set up one table and play one game in actual 50-millimeter physical miniatures, so I could build an entire army of Chinese ancients, run the campaign, run the battle, done, on to the next project. Um and then when I'm took out every time this happens every Christmas, we used to run those Christmas battles. This happens every time we used to do battle group, um, you know, physical tables. Every time I'm taking this stuff down, I'm like, never again. I am, I, I start throwing things out. When I, I, I don't need this again. This piece of terrain that broke, I'm not going to bother fixing. I'm throwing it out because I'm never going to use it again. I swear to God, I'm never setting up another, you know, 15 millimeter physical table again. It's just dumb. You know, when you can game at a computer and get 10 times as much work done and one-fifth as much effort, uh, as far as spending time with people goes, I know it's I know it's online, but I spend time with people on, like, four continents a week, you know, in different kinds of games or whatever. So there's that, which you can't do on a physical table. Um, but then, again, at the same time, about a year later, a project comes up or, 
he suddenly comes up, you know, I'm like, all right, I'll pull all this stuff out again and I'll build another table. And when that first box gets pulled out of the closet and that first inch of dust gets blown off the top, there's that, that pit of cold dread in my stomach going, oh, God, here we go again. I can't <laughs> believe I'm doing this again. How do I get talked into another one, you know? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of cursing and swearing. And But then they get set up and it looks great and you have a little bit of fun and then it comes to take it back down again. You're like, well, never again. It was fun, <laughs> but never again. Until the next time. And, yeah. you know, it's like Christmas <laughs> now, in my defense, in my the house. next time is like a year later, but it does always happen again. Yeah. So I hate to sound the cliche, but maybe, I mean, I know we do all come off the mother of all breaks, or we're all hopefully this year going to come off the mother of all breaks, but maybe we just need a break. Um, I don't mean the team sit rep taking a break, but like, you know, certain parts of the hobby. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, people are talking about, uh, you know, different kinds of gaming. Uh, I think Bill and I are still on for maybe sometime in March or April to do some online battle group. I'm really yeah. looking forward to that. Yeah. I love gaming. I don't like building little toys and, you know, painting the stuff with all this complicated crap, you know. Uh, it's just, I guess, different different parts of the hobby for different people, I guess. Some people hate the research. Some people hate the painting. Some people hate the the rules. Some people hate, you know, I don't know. Uh, I guess, you know, just, again, this is going to sound like a horribly cliche, but, you know, uh, try to identify what parts of the hobby, because hobby is not this big homogenous thing. There's there's sectors to it. There's there's channels to it. There's different levels and strata. Find the parts that, you know, you really are still interested in, if any, and, uh, you know, do that. And if there's, if there's none, that's fine too, because we've all, ta- we, I think in all of our hobby lifetimes, um, except for maybe Marty, cause he's, you know, new, but for people who have been doing this for more than 10, 20, 30 years, there's usually a dark age in there somewhere. Oh yeah. I wasn't gaming for, you know, 10 years, college, my first kid. Um, I had to move to a new city for a new job. There's always going to be this big spot in most gamers histories where they just weren't gaming for 10 or 15 years. And then they came back to it later in life. I mean, that's, if it hasn't happened already, that might happen in, in the future. Who knows? Hmm. Yeah, I mean everybody goes through those. Um, so we'll see. It's a, it's it can be a roller coaster. So going to the other side of the spectrum for this, um, I had um, a revelation, and not really a revelation, but um, my grandson who is eight. What year is this? Yeah, he's eight years old. Um, he uh, was he's a, he's a big gamer. He loves playing games. You know, he plays uh, all kinds of card games and board games. And um, I was thinking, you know, what what is a good game or way to bring in a younger kid? You know, we've talked kind of about this before, but for somebody who's under twelve, you know, uh, in his case, an eight year old, um, one game he seems really attracted to is Heroes of Normandy because it's a war game. Uh, it's you know, really colorful, but it, you know, it, you, you have, uh, tokens or chits that have units on them, you know, with, it's kind of like a hex encounter game in some aspects. And, um, he seems really interested in that and it's, it's pretty easy to get into to play. Um, you know, he, he's painted some miniatures with me when I've been painting. So, um, I was, I don't know. What do you think is the best way to get somebody, you know, a youngster into playing uh, war games? Uh, I think for me, taking them to an event, letting them look around the tables and doing the demos gives you a way of almost testing to see what their interests are without investing. 
seeing if the visuals of a tabletop set up, the armies painted, the terrain gets them fired up to play the game and will keep them interested. Because if if a month later they're still talking about the American Civil War game they played, but they're not talking about the you know uh, modern skirmish game they played, then you know where to focus, at least for a period of time, till the butterfly moves to another flower, so to speak. Right. Uh, so I was going to say, almost, uh, almost, maybe the silence is going to sound like heresy, but almost don't start with history. Um, with kids that age, isn't usually, you know, like Star Wars Legion or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, all those pl- all those plastic prepaints, big flashy lights, flashy glow sticks or whatever, you know, big big sound effects, big movies, Mandalorians on, all these, you know, Star Wars cartoon shows are on or whatever. Um, maybe maybe not Star Wars specifically, but you know, I think a, a, a huge amount of war gamers, especially historical war gamers, originally started in another genre. Like a lot of us started in D and D way back in the day. Um, that's not historical, you know. Um, a lot of us maybe came over from 40k. You know, that's not historical. So I think sometimes maybe another genre, maybe, mm-hmm. unless they happen to be interested in history anyway. I mean, that's how I started, but I'm. A little abnormal in more ways than one. Um, but yeah, maybe just a different genre. Yeah, that's always a good point. Something that's a little more animated or cartoony or whatever. So yeah, that's a good point. All right, uh, Chris, you had uh, wanted to bring up uh, something as well. Why don't you talk us through yours? So just kind of goes along with what you've got, you know, bringing either kids in or uh, new people in. Um, are there any games out there that add levels, progressive levels of uh, difficulty to where, I mean, discrete levels of difficulty where, you know, you've got someone new, so you dial it back to, you know, like a one, you know, the basic rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and after you've been playing a while, you know, you've got the advanced rules. I know uh, I played uh X-Wing, Star Wars miniature game, Mm -hmm. and there's basic rules, and then after you go through a couple of those, you know, initial playthroughs, then they have advanced rules. Are there any other war games that, you know, have more of that? Oh, yeah. And you can dial back for someone who's new? A lot of games have that. Um, You know, they'll have add-on rules or advanced rules or, you know... um, a lot of miniature games do that. You know, it, going back, a lot of Avalon Hill games had whole sections full of, you know, advanced rules. You know, Jim per, could probably run you a list of games that did that, um, you know, where you had the standard rules. And then uh, let's take, you know, uh, squad leader stuff. You had night fighting rules. You had weather rules, you know. Um, so, you know, if you think about yeah. I'm sorry, and I'm not. I'm not talking about like the nuanced rules. I'm talking about basic, you know, complexity. Yeah, right. That's that's what yeah. I'm talking about. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, Arab Israeli Wars is the one. I know it's not really a starting game, but uh, Arab Israeli Wars is the first one that I come up with. That game was literally came, the book came in three chapters. Basic rules. Um, that is how the tanks, how the tank platoons move, how they fire, how the range works, how the CRG works. Okay, you can now say that you've played a game of 
I hope it's really wars. And then in the back of the book, they had 24 scenarios. And like the first six scenarios were uh, numbered B1 through B6 or something like that. I think it was B1 through B4. But anyway, they were numbered B-number, B-number. And those are with the units and the victory conditions and the boards that come with this scenario, you only need the basic rules. Play those scenarios using the basic rules. You know, if you want to play them a couple times, great. And then you go to the S section, standard rules. And then finally there was A, which is option, which is advanced. And then finally at the end of all that, uh, most Avalon Hill games would have O, optional rules. That's where you get into the funky stuff that may not be more complex, it's just weird. You know, that, you know, oh, this happened once in a while, so we put it in the game if you want to use it. If not, chuck it. Or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the game, the game was built with scenarios specifically designed to each of those staircase levels. Um, it's not exactly a beginner's game, but then again, that was kind of the reason why Avalon Hill tried that. Mm-hmm. I was doing Battle Carry Sabo, and I was trying to use their MBT rules. I don't know if you ever saw MBT from Avalon Hill, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Good God almighty, what, what the hell were those people smoking back in the 80s? The it, well, is, that was is, the thing back in the insane. 80s. Let's make it as complicated as we can. You know, we well, were in Avalon Hill, so we're gonna... like, This is the early 80s. These yeah. games were coming out. Yeah, so... But, uh, yeah, the basic rules, but then I think that was the reason they had that staircase of complexity. It was because nobody could learn the rules in one go. There's just no way. Unless right. you're yeah. some kind of, you know, but, idiot savant or yeah. something who just loves, you know, <laughs> memorize the whole phone book. Um, but, yeah, it's the same thing. It's basic level, intermediate level, and then uh, advanced level. I, I yeah, and something like that would be good for n- introducing new people to or, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of time and, you know, like if Marty came over and, hey, we only got a couple of hours. Well, let's play this game. But let's don't just play do Avalon the... Hill games if you only got a couple hours. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, then to restructure the conversation, then uh, how about, uh, I know I said just the other week that this wasn't a war game, but some of the new additions of Risk have, mm-hmm. okay, you can play the game basic. And then if you want to, they have like this legacy rule set that's stacked on top of it that you can use as well. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever tried any of those or looked at any of those. I'm not a big fan personally because with the legacy rule set, you can literally only play the game once because you literally change the map board as it goes. Um, Like World War III version of Risk, the legacy game, if a continent or a section of a continent gets nuked, you actually put a sticker on it or whatever and you permanently change the board. Um, but there are more like entry level games out there that do have that sort of a staircase. Tired of Iron's another one. Um, although again, not really cheap, but it is technically a board game uh, as opposed to like a, a straight out war game. It does have hexes in it, but it plays with little three dimensional playing pieces, almost like Memoir 44. It's like Memoir 44 on steroids. But that game, I know for sure, has different levels of complexity that you can build into. Game doesn't take that long, and it's more or less, you know, entry-ish level. Um, there's, yeah, I guess there are some examples, uh, is the short answer. And, and that's what is, you know, that ties into how do we bring people into it. Well, you know, sometimes it gets daunting when you're new and you're looking at the plethora of rules and all the other crap that goes along with it. Well, yeah, no, I agree, Chris. But to answer that in a different way, I would look at a stair step of gaming. So basically, if you, you know, somebody wants to, we're going to say historical, wants to get into, let's say, World War II, 
Um, but there, you know, there's so many rule sets out there and there's some that are very complex and they have a lot of stuff. What's a good one to get them into playing World War II on a miniature base level? I would say like bolt action or flames of war, probably bolt action more than flames of war. Cause bolt action is pretty darn easy to get into, to learn to play right off the bat. Um, the rules are not that super heavy. Uh, combat's pretty straightforward. You know, and then as you as people grow and they get into better areas, then you know they can expand. Uh, you know, if they want to do more armor battles, then you go into Flames of War. You know, and then as they feel like you know what, I want something more, you can do Chain of Command. You can do Battle Group. Um, you know, so there's a stair step of rules. It's just you know what it really comes down to is who's their guide, who's guiding them through this journey. You know, it, it really comes down to. Because I know some people who are like, oh, you know, they go to a convention, they see a game, and they really want to play because it, it looks amazing on the table. People seem to have fun. They go out and buy a starter set or whatever, the rule book, and they start reading through it, and they try and play in a few, and they go, I don't get this at all. And it doesn't seem fun. And then it kind of just gets put off into the back of the closet, and you might lose them. So, you know, this is where the importance, like over in the UK, which I'm kind of envy of, is that they have these gaming clubs that we don't have here. Um, you know, we have game stores and stuff that, you know, you can go game at. But when you have a dedicated group that are not affiliated with the store and, the, and it's a gaming club, um, you know, it, it seems like a really great way of doing it. So that's the way I look yeah, at it. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was muted before, but when you said that you're envious of the U.K. with their gaming clubs, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, that's the one thing that sucks about living in the U.S. Uh, we have no – our gaming culture is terrible over here. We may have the same number of gamers, but – this is a bigger country. They're also spread out. Yeah. There's exactly one gaming store in my entire county of two and a half million people, and uh, they play Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon all day <laughs> and Magic the Gathering. So, yeah, no thanks. Now, back when we used to have a gaming store near us, what I would do is I would take Avalon Hill slash Wizards of the Coast, um, Axis and Allies, not the board game that we're all familiar with, but they actually had a 15-millimeter hybrid hex and miniature game. They could come with these beautiful little 15-millimeter pre-paints. I mean, they weren't like Golden Dragon quality by any stretch of the imagination, but they were, you know, they were colored and they had some gouache on them. And, you know, and uh, I think we were talking before about how to get kids involved. These things were hockey pucks, man. You could fling these across the room with all your power, put a dent in the sheetrock of the wall, and you could pick it up again, and the miniature's fine. Um, it was definitely high-impact, you know, low-maintenance gaming and i would take that to the club and i would set that up with some little bits of terrain not much these little pre stupid little prepaint miniatures or whatever and have a battle put little poofs of smoke on the screen or on the board and just that little bit of visual impact this is what i think you were talking about uh, in a previous episode bill is people would come by the table and they would say oh wow what's that but i would set up a nice big juicy scenario of panzer leader guess how many people came by my table and said oh wow hey what's that you know <laughs> The numbers between zero and zero, so go ahead and take a pick. Um, <laughs> but when you set up the stupid little access and allies thing, people would come by all the time and be like, oh, cool. And if somebody wanted in, yeah, here's the rule book. It's two sheets of eight and a half by 11 paper, like front and back. It's basically one sheet of paper, so two pages. Mm -hmm. Here are the rules for the basic rules. That, By the way, that game also had basic and intermediate rules, you know. Okay. And play that, and then if they liked it, then I kind of take them quietly off to the side and say, okay, the first hit was free. 
now it's going to cost you. You know, here's this little thing I got called Panzer Blitz or Panzer Leader or whatever. And yeah, I got a couple of hardcore Panzer Leader players that way. And it was, you know, staircasing them up through different systems. Even if that staircase of complexity isn't in one system, you can do it between multiple systems. Um, sadly, Axis and Allies 50 millimeter miniature is no longer in print, but uh, I keep saying it, uh, that Memoir 44 series. Uh, it's available at places like Target and has little 10 millimeter plastic 3D pieces to it, so you can kind of almost get a little taste of miniatures in there, too. Yeah. I don't think they're painted, but, you know. And where I was going was not so much, you know, the, like Bill was saying, with the, you know, going through different systems and progressing. You know, one of the things, especially if we don't game as much as we would like to, is sometimes when you're doing a bunch of different systems, it it starts getting to be confusing on, wait, was this rule for this one or that one, you know, or what are the nuances? Oh, we did it this way in that game, but now we do it a different way in this one, or is it a different order? It's, you know, if anything, it's it might be more confusing that way. Um. Yeah. yeah, and this is Brad, and I have a lot of opinions on all this. This is a great topic. I've spent a lot of my gaming life hosting games, both at conventions and local areas and what have you. And my first piece of advice is, is don't let the rules get in the way of the game. Right? Ultimately, most people are there to game and have fun. And as a host of the game, right, you're, whether you're just gaming with a friend or you're at a convention and you're, you know, teaching a bunch of strangers the game, most of the people are there to have fun, right? And and because of that, I always tone down the rules, even if there isn't an official light version of it or a quick play version of the game, I'll know instantly that I'll have to dispose of 70% of the rules so that everybody at the table can spend the time gaming and having fun instead of, figuring out that, you know, the angle of, of strike at the at the vehicle is going to lessen the penetration. And so I want to have a lower arc, whatever it is, people aren't interested in learning when they're interested in gaming. And I think I totally agree with Bill and what he was saying is that you want to get people interested first. You want them to have a great experience with the game and have fun. I think the complexity comes after that. And even if you're an experienced gamer, right, even if you, you've gone through all these rule sets, right, Chris, like you were saying, and they get blurred and, and is it this rule, is it that rule, was it that set, I think ultimately you could blend them all together as long as you're having fun, right, as long as it makes sense. It, it, it's the way that, that I view gaming, at least, is that it's there to have a lot of fun, not be detailed, so oriented, that I stopped the other players saying, you're not playing that particular rule right. But that's just my two cents. No, no. That, that's exactly what I'm looking for, and, you know, I'm gen- trying to generate a topic of conversation. Nope, and so, perfect. Thought- yeah, and yesterday we did that a little bit in our playthrough because uh, we wanted to play, you know. I mean, we're not super, uh, you know, we don't have the rules memorized. You know, so we're not super familiar with all of them. We've done a little bit of uh, play testing before we uh, got into our game, made made some discoveries, decided, okay, this is how we're going to do this. And then along the way, you know, if something was really bogging us down or stumping us, we just decided uh, what we were going to do and, and kept playing because that's the goal. We want to play. 
Yeah, totally agree, right? There's a discrepancy, dice it off, let's move forward. I I will, during a game, not even look at the rules if there's some kind of question. We'll just agree to some quick resolution and move on because I want to play the game. Right. I want to learn the rules. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and the more you play, the more familiar you're going to become with the rule set, I think, yeah. generally speaking. You know, so, you know, if you want to get into that, uh, you know, deeper and you want to get more crunchy with it, you know, uh, as the game allows, then, you know, the, that will come with uh, with time and, uh, you know, uh, repetition of play. Yeah. And I think it's common that after the game, I go to the rule book and say, how did that really was supposed to go? Or, you right. know, I messed something up. How did it go for next time? But I don't let it interrupt the game and the fun I'm having. Well, what we're doing is um, what we what we do sometimes is we're hosting these games on Sunday streams, and you can't stop a stream when you've got you know like a bunch of people in your audience and say, oh, let me go look up this rule. So absolutely, yeah, you just kind of you remember it as best you can. You maybe pause the game for like two minutes, not even one minute, maybe not even that. If you can't find it or you can't remember it, never mind. You know, four up it and just keep going. Um, issue an apology later when you realize you ripped off your opponent and you totally, you know, <laughs> they totally cheesed them on that rule. Um, but as far as, you know, hosting a game goes, you're trying to onboard people into a new game or put on a game, I guess, part of entertainment, like uh, maybe a demo game at a convention or a live stream game on the web. A lot of that also comes down to scenario design. Page Leader is a pretty big, chunky, complicated game with rules for aircraft, artillery, you know, all the stuff like that. Just don't put that stuff in the scenario. You don't want to walk, you don't want to walk like a, you know, into a buzzsaw of rules for aircraft. Don't include aircraft in your scenario. Um, artillery, don't include it in your scenario. Keep it tanks, infantry, and maybe a couple anti-tank guns. And, you know, now you can shoot at each other, blowy, uppy, yay, you know, have fun. Um, and it also makes for a faster stream. Um, and then, you know, if the person's interested and you want to get into the real detailed crunch of it, maybe that can be a later stream or do that offline. Do that during the during the week when you're not broadcasting in front of your audience or whatever. Um, and maybe put highlights up later or something. You know, you don't want to bore your audience, you know, much less your gamers, people who aren't even playing in the game. Like if you're like you know, at a convention or a live stream, you've got people who aren't even involved in the game. They're just watching the game. Uh, they're really susceptible to just switching channels or walking to another table. Yeah, you want to you keep it fast, for sure. Yeah. Yep. And I also think this blends perfectly with the previous topic, talking about your grandson, mm-hmm. in that you, you're bringing the younger people into a game, whether it be historical, whether it be whatever. Historically, in particular, because I think it's not as flashy as, as you know, sci-fi or fantasy, but you would be amazed that, you know, when running a table at a convention, you're putting on a game and a father and son come over and his son is really interested. The dad, maybe, maybe not. But the the, the kid is because he sees tanks on the tables. He sees terrain. It looks good. And you let him participate by giving giving him a tank, right, a shiny object and saying, OK, your objective now is to get on the other side of the board and do X, Y, and Z, when it's your turn, I'll tell you, you tell me what you want to do, I'll tell you how you can do it. And all of a sudden, they're having the best time of their lives, and Dad's there 
trying to tell the sign, no, no, you got to go over the bridge, you go through the water. It's really fun to see those people get involved. And I think the key is, is how you treat them, how you host them, how you make it simple. Yeah. Yeah. It's good points. All right, guys. Um, Marty, you had a topic and we've talked about this quite a bit before. Um, why don't you run us through it real quick and we'll close out the show with this. Sure. And, um, the, the reason why I bring this up is this is something that uh, has, has come to me personally from another friend of mine who was involved. So my topic is, uh, you know, wargaming real world modern era scenarios. Mm-hmm. You know, is this something that, uh, you know, potentially is too soon or how soon is too soon, I guess. And to give you the background on this, uh, a project that I'm that I'm starting on my own is I have a friend of mine that is a uh, U.S. Special Forces guy. He was in Afghanistan in 2009, and uh, they had a bad day. They were getting exfilled from a spot uh, via a CH-47, and uh, a bad actor shot an RPG up the, the tailpipe of, uh, of their helicopter, uh, damaged the rotors uh, to the point where it was no longer able to fly. Also damaged the left rear engine. Um, fortunately, in this uh, in this scenario, uh, everybody survived. There was minimal injuries, whatnot. Uh, but uh, uh, he has always talked. My buddy has always talked about kind of making a diorama of this, and he knows that I've gotten into this stuff. And he called me up last week, and he's like, "Hey, we should do a table." And I'm like, <laughs> "Yes." Yes, we should. <laughs> I'm all down for it. I think it's I think it's going to be uh, a great uh, a challenge for me to to build the terrain. But this is the first time I've ever had first person account of the incident that could potentially be used for a game scenario as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, for some folks, that you know that might not be a, a thing, and I get it. You know. Uh, you know, you, you might not want to relive some of those uh, some of those scenarios, but uh, you know everything in in this mission, this particular mission, has been declassified, and he is down with it. So it is something that uh, I am gonna start working on and, and developing. But I know that there are some folks out there that just say, you know, that we we need some more time to pass. You know, uh, and you know that's that's understandable, but I'm uh, I'm excited about starting this project. So, so my first question to you yesterday was, what about the classification? Yeah, as I said, everything's been declassed. Right, so. right. No, but that was the. Yeah. That was, you know, yeah. Is it too soon? That, that was my first question to you. Is is it okay to talk about it? You know, is there? Yeah. Any, you know, I mean, I I would not use any. Uh, any real names uh, if I was doing a scenario development, uh, just to protect the innocent, uh, so to speak. But, uh, you know, uh, I literally have all of the combat reports from that. You know, I know what time the helicopter went down. I know what time they put out the the call for assistance. I know when the first Apache arrived. I know when the first F-16 came in and made its bombing run, you know, uh, you know, I know how long and where they fought. You know, there's some uh, 
uh, great maps. Uh, he's provided over a hundred photos. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I, I, I've got a pretty high level of, of detail there. And, um, like I said, I'm pretty excited to, to do it. I want this is, this is a project I really wanted. I want, I want to make sure I don't mess it up. You know, right. I'm excited for the challenge. Yeah. Now, sometimes classification is not just upon the incident, but it could be upon methods or something to where if they do something a certain way, you might need to change that in the game to not expose that method. Right. And again, all of this is D-class and, well, the the Afghans know what we did because they were there. So I don't think I have to worry about telling them. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, we're talking about <laughs> real-world scenarios that, you know, considerations there. Right. Not one specifically, but just in general. Yeah. Well, and, you know, my greater my, my greatest concern is that, you know, how would that personally affect uh, other veterans? You know, as a, as a veteran, you know, everyone on the show uh, is a veteran. When uh, – when you've had that that personal experience, sometimes that's not something you want to relive, and I, you know, that's that's an understandable place to be. I think um, it's quite interesting to have this once we've done the Libya thing, which was 2012 as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we ran across a lot of classified documentation on that one too, over like redacted reports and so on. Um, I've only run across this issue once. And it was startling and very unpleasant, um, but it resolved itself pretty quickly with a simple question. Uh, what branch did you serve in again? Um, when someone comes at you with, uh, you know, bitching and whining about, hey, this is too soon or whatever, you know. Oh, you didn't serve anywhere. Oh, you weren't there at all. Oh, you don't have family in the Ukraine. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. How about you... Exercise your God-given right to shut the hell up. You know? um, said with about that language. Now, I do have friends um, on Beasts of War in Cult of Games and uh, even on SITREP, uh, believe it or not, who uh, are veterans who don't get into the modern gaming. And that then I then I then I listen um, because again, like you just like you were saying a minute ago, other veterans. Who, and I'm not saying that veterans have a monopoly on this. You could have family that was there. You know, you get a family that's in, you know, the Ukraine or in Syria or sure. who knows what. Um, but until this has personally affected you, you know, relax, you know. And that's going to be where almost all of the complaints come from. Um, if you put this up on like a Facebook or on our, our channel or something like that, uh, I certainly don't think it's going to happen. I hope it doesn't happen, but you might get the occasional comment like, hey, I don't think this is appropriate. Hashtag, you know, whatever, whatever, you know. Yeah. My, 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 my panties are in a knot or something. You know what? Fine, dude. Um, go ahead and, you know, let me know what branch you served in and, you know, what your personal connection to this incident was, and then we can talk about it. The good news is people who do have something to say on this stuff, again, usually other veterans, either don't have a problem with it or they know enough not to make a big deal about it. Like I said, I've got friends who are into it, 
uh, sorry, who are who are veterans, and they don't really like doing modern wargaming. They prefer World War II and previous for this very reason. And uh, you know, we're still great friends. They, you know, they 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 subscribe to SitRep or whatever. They don't watch a lot of what we do because again, it's not really their cup of tea. But we do other stuff besides you know modern, and they just support us on a personal level. Um, so it's not really that big of a problem, I guess, is the short answer. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that you know, being military, we do is we can separate ourselves a lot of times from something like that because a lot of times something bad goes on. You do a bunch of ARs, you do a bunch of, you know, things to where you're, you know, hey, what could we have done different? You know, take it as a learning experience, and, and that's what this is. And, and and somehow you're able to separate the the specifics from the emotions. Yeah, well, and, you know, and my goal is to, uh, you know, not only because I'm looking forward to the challenge of being able to do it, but, uh, you know, to honor my friend's service in his unit. Yep, absolutely. All right, guys, um, we're going to wrap up the show with that. We want to thank our special guests, Bob McKenzie and Brad, who stuck around for the show. Next time, Brad, don't, don't be so quiet, really, <laughs> you know. Thanks for having me on. It was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> You're welcome. And good luck with Kickstarter. Um, I just backed it, just so you know. I, I, I did my part for you guys. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. So, guys, make sure you check out. Uh, again, Brad, where can they find you guys at? Uh, the easiest place is bobmac3d.com, or you can always reach me at brad at bobmac3d.com. Perfect. There you go. And to the rest of the command team, I want to say thank you. And especially a big thank you to all our friends and supporters out there. Um, make sure you catch Jim's uh, live stream, which will actually, the recording will go out after the, his stream. Um, and then uh, Wednesday, we'll have some more project work and we'll go from there. And make sure you look for the announcements for Little Wars and everything else going on. Again, we can't say enough. And thank you guys very much. And have a great week. You have been listening to the Citrep podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our channels on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Discord. Remember to join us every other weekend for a new episode of the podcast. And don't forget our other programming on Wednesdays and Sundays. Thanks for listening. 